that was when I was talking to a prospect in the wedding industry. So I had geared up enough that I was getting some consultations coming in. And I always like to ask people, how did you hear about me? Because I want to know, how did we end up on a phone call? What's the source of this lead? And she said, oh, well, my friend Suzanne told me all about you, that you're the expert on SEO for wedding professionals. And I didn't know who Suzanne was. Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? It is episode 163, and I am talking to one of my favorite people, Sarah Dunn, and she's one of my favorite people to talk to for good reason. She's fun, honest, and has a lot of great insight. And I'm excited because today we are kind of doing like a follow-up, where are they now sort of episode. I talked to Sarah back in episode 69. That was nearly 100 episodes and two years ago uh, and where we talked about her starting to niche down. So she was just beginning her niching down journey. So now, again, two years later, she's fully into her niche business or niche business. Uh, So we talk about how she fully made that transition, how she came out on the other side and how she had to make some tough decisions and stay motivated. I truly think that this is something that every freelancer and small business owner should hear. That's why I'm having her on the show again. So uh, let's get to it talking to Sarah Dunn. This episode is brought to you by Ahrefs. Ahrefs is an all-in-one SEO tool set that solves that problem. It gives you the tools you need to rank your website in Google and get tons of search traffic. As someone who struggles with what kind of content to create or what's ranking best in Google or really anything SEO related, Ahrefs has been instrumental in increasing traffic to my website. Over the holidays, I had my best quarter for affiliate income because Ahrefs showed me my most popular pages and topics, and I was able to optimize my content and my gift guides and update them accordingly. I would have never updated one of my gift guides because I didn't think it was that popular. Ahrefs actually showed me it is my most popular page. Ahrefs makes competitive analysis easy as well. Their tools show you how your competitors are getting traffic from Google and why. You can see the pages and content that send them the most search traffic, find out exactly the keywords they're ranking for and which backlinks are helping them rank. From there, you can replicate or improve on their strategies. Now, uh, as I said, I don't think I'm getting significant search traffic, so I use Ahrefs tools to help find topics worth creating pages or content for. I can easily see estimated search volumes and gauge traffic potential with their Keyword Explorer tool. It's been a fantastic addition to my toolkit. Just this morning, I learned that my everyday carry post has been popular. Lots of people are coming. So I think it's time to update that because it's five years old. If you want to gain a following or just improve traffic to your website, Ahrefs is the tool for you. You can get a seven-day trial for $7 over at Ahrefs.com. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com for a seven-day trial for $7. And if you're anything like me, you'll be hooked. 
Again, that's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com for a seven-day trial for $7. Before we get started, I want to tell you about a new or newly redesigned resource I have called the Podcast Workbook. 2020 is sure to change a lot of things, including the podcast landscape. If you want to start your own podcast, but you're not sure where to start, check out my free podcast workbook at podcastworkbook.com. It will give you everything you need step-by-step to launch your show with checklists and equipment and service recommendations. It's everything you need to get started. And it's newly redesigned, so it looks a lot better, it flows a lot better, and it answers some of the feedback and questions I got from people who have already started using it. So go get it now. It's the free podcast workbook I've put together to help you launch your podcast in 2020, and it is at podcastworkbook.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, I am so excited to have a repeat offender back. Her name is Sarah Dunn. She is the founder and project lead over at 11web slash SarahDoesSEO.com. Sarah, how are you today? I am doing great and so happy that the last interview was good enough to get some sort of sequel. So this is really fun and I'm glad to be back. Absolutely. I love talking to you. I love talking to you for a few reasons. One, you're great. Two, you have taken what feels like a vested interest in my pen obsession. Oh my gosh, I love the pens. (laughs) (laughs) So that always brings someone up like 400 notches. Well, every time Uh, we have to tell the listeners that every time I see you, you now bring a pen for me to use and I get to hear all about the ink and the tip and like what kind it is. And I still... Definitely, I'm not on the geek level with the pens, but it's super fun to write notes about how cool Joe is in Joe's pen. And thank you. This that's part of the reason I I bring it because you always write like Joe is so cool, and I just like look at those notes and I'm like I, I feel cool now. <laughs> um, so that's great. If I remember, I made a note in my document, but uh, I'll take a picture of my pen collection and I'll link them in the show notes for this episode over at How I Built It. But enough about me. Let's talk about you, Sarah. Can you tell us? Well, first of all, we're talking about niching down today, which is what we talked about last time. But today it's going to be a bit more focused. You're further along in your journey. So uh, why don't we start with who you are and what you do? Well, this is really fun to be talking about this topic again, because I actually went back to that first episode that we did and I listened to it last night just because I didn't remember what we had talked about and what we had said. So... That episode number 69 of your podcast was back from March 2018, and this was very early. I had just decided on what I was going to niche into. So let me just do the very quick version because the very long version is in that prior episode. Um, But I started a web agency in 2012. I did web design for five years, and then I got an itch to become a specialist in something crazy specific. Like I wanted to really narrow it down and become known for something, but I didn't know what that was. So I started a YouTube channel. I talked a lot about that journey in the last episode and I have landed in the last couple years now on doing 
search engine optimization specifically for the wedding industry. So I now work every single day looking at websites for wedding planners, photographers, venues, florists, those types of businesses that serve couples getting married. I work on their websites to help them get found on Google. And at this point in my life, that is pretty much all of the work that I do. So that's me. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm glad to hear that it worked out because I know that when we spoke, uh, you weren't sure. You were exploring. You had started a YouTube channel. Uh, I think I first heard you talk about it on The Matt Report with Matt Medeiros, friend of the show. Um, So definitely check that out. It's over at howibuilt.it slash 69. If I was good at editing, I might like do a little flashback music right here and like cut to you explaining a little bit more about it. But yeah, so... uh, (laughs) Um, I made a note to do that too. We'll see how closely I pay attention to my notes. But nearly uh, a little more than two years to the date um, is when this episode will come out. Uh, That episode came out on March 6th, 2018. That was my daughter's first birthday. Amazing. Um, Yeah. So, and uh, this is, it is, as the listeners are first hearing this, it's April of 2020. So uh, I'm glad to hear it's working out. And the reason I wanted to have you back on the show was because this season I've really focused in on freelancers um, and small business owners and how they can grow their business. And lots of my guests, Jason Resnick, Aaron Flynn, um, uh, Nathan Ingram, and just a whole host of people have said, find the thing you're good at, niche down, and really focus on that because it makes your work more predictable. It lets you solve a problem. So um, maybe we can talk a little bit about, uh, from when did, you, when do you feel like your niching down really start to, to pay off? Right. Cause you were like, I'm doing this. I'm not sure I'm taking a risk. Two years later, we could say, hooray, it's working out for you. I love this question because I want everyone that's thinking about niching down to know that it took a really long time. So I'm speaking to you right now from a place where I have an email list full of people who are in my target market. I'm booked out three months in advance. Um, But when you hear people talk like that, it's like, well, I have no idea to get how to get from where I am to that place where you've niched down enough that you're well-known in your industry and actually building some sort of a following. So It took a really long time. As I mentioned, um, it took like eight months just for me to find my specialty. I wasn't someone that fell into a certain specialization naturally. You'll occasionally hear people that say, oh, I, you know, I did this one project and then I kind of started doing a lot that were really similar and it just kind of happened. And I think that's wonderful but that did not happen to me. Um, I very intentionally was like, I want to be a specialist and I don't know what. And I actually tried a couple things that didn't work. So I tried to do Facebook ads for chiropractors, which I didn't really like. Um, I thought about doing... Was it a pain in the neck? It was It was a pain in the neck, for sure. <laughs> um, it, I really just didn't <laughs> like the work. Um, and I found that out the hard way after I invested several months in creating content, learning about the market, learning about Facebook ads. Um, so 
this is not a quick process for someone who's interested in it. And to answer your question, when did it feel like it really started working? I have one particular incident that I really remember. And that was when I was talking to a prospect in the wedding industry. So I had geared up enough that I was getting some consultations coming in. And I always like to ask people, how did you hear about me? Because I want to know, how did we end up on a phone call? What's the source of this lead? And she said, oh, well, my friend Suzanne told me all about you, that you're the expert on SEO for wedding professionals. And I didn't know who Suzanne was. (laughs) And at that moment, I realized that people were talking about me and following my content, and I was getting referrals from people I didn't even know. And that was a first in my business, like six years into doing business, getting referrals from actually just having a following as opposed to getting referral from uh, a friend or someone I knew from a networking event or someone who was in my close circle. So that moment, I was like, wow. This specializing thing does work because people are listening, even if I don't know about them. Wow, that's that is awesome. Uh, Very exciting to hear. Um, That was fun because yeah, that's like that's like a big deal, right? Like I I don't know. Sometimes I feel like people say it seems like you do a lot. I don't really know what you do, and it sounds like a compliment, but it's really not, right? People should know exactly what I do. Or at least the main thing I want to focus on because I do a lot of things, but I want to be known as the, you know, the podcasting guy or whatever exactly. in certain circles. Exactly. So, and that makes it so yeah. much easier when people want to help you out or refer you if they can be like, oh, I know this person who's a wedding planner. She needs more inquiries for her business. She should talk to Sarah about search engine optimization. It's like so much easier than when I was just like generalist web design person. It was like, oh, well, my friend Sarah knows something about websites. She could probably fix your email. (laughs) Yeah, right. Or, uh, hey, you're good with computers. My printer doesn't work. Um, (laughs) I don't charge for that. I don't do that. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's really great. Um, and so you've established yourself as an expert in this field. Um, how, how did you do that? Did you, uh, I know you had your YouTube channel. Did you like go to, uh, convent expos? That's what they're called. Maybe. Um, did you go to events and stuff like that? How did you, how did you build up that network to make sure you Uh, establish yourself as an expert? Well, I tried all sorts of things. And again, not fast, not easy. So the first thing that I did, and this is what I would recommend anyone to do if they're thinking of exploring a niche, is not like put up a website, come up with a separate brand name, start all the social handles. No, it's actually talking to people in that industry and seeing if you can do work for them. And so that's how I got started. I actually did some free work for a wedding planner mm. who needed help with her SEO. And I, I know people are really down on free work in a lot of cases, but you can't really say that you are a repeatable expert at anything if you've only done it one time or if you don't have a case study you can share. So in some way, you have to get yourself out there. And for me, I just had a, a good feeling about the person that I offered to help out. She was really well-connected. She really needed help and appreciated it very much. And when we got good results for her, um, she had had kind of a website disaster where she fell off Google and we got her back to the first page. Um, she really, really wanted to talk about it. So 
that's where some of those first leads came from was once I did a good job for her, she was very excited to refer me on to other people in the industry that she knew. So that was a really good way for me to do more work and really get started and make sure that I liked the work. As I said, I I did some projects that I didn't like in different niches. So it was important for me to be like, could I see myself doing the same thing with the same type of person over and over again? In the wedding industry, I said, yes, absolutely. That's great. And so, I mean, really that pre-work was like an investment, right? Like like an investment in, um, like imagine having a marketing budget, right? But you learned the skill. Um, and then you found somebody who was willing to be your first big fan of of that work. Yes. And um, I was able to say, hey, if I do this for you for free, can you give me really honest feedback throughout the process about how you feel it's going? When you're charging someone a premium price, it's hard for you to be like, I'm doing you a favor, you do me a favor. Even if you're giving right. someone a discount on a service, They still feel like they're paying for it. So they have pretty high expectations of what you're going to deliver. But if you're like, hey, I really want to test out this market. I think you're an expert at your market. And I'd really like to work for you and learn a little bit more. They will probably be really flattered that you see them in that way. Like you're an expert at what you do. And I'd love to work for you. Um, And also that opens the door for them to tell you exactly what they think. So like, hey, this is too slow. Hey, I don't understand what's going on right now. Hey, this the results are taking a while. Is this normal? And that's really good feedback to have when you're getting started in a niche. Even if you feel like you're an expert at the service you're performing, just to have, you know, at least one experience where you can get a really deep conversation with someone about how you're doing the work and how it would apply to others. Yeah, that's, I think that's really great advice. Um, I took a, a slightly different route with my podcasting service, which by the way, back to your point about like it taking a long time and letting people know, like I've had conversations this week with people where I'm like, I have this done for you podcasting service. And they're like, I didn't know you had that. But now that I know you have that, I can refer people to you. Um, yes. So, you know, again, it's not like, you know, I, I built a page and assumed people would come. Um, but, you know, you got to you gotta put yourself out there. But um, going through the process, I think, is really important. And like more than once, like you said, right? Because you do have like these fake experts online who are like, I did this thing once and now I'm going to make an online course about yes. it. Yes. Um, but, you know, so you did it that one time. Uh, and who knows how it's going to go the next time. So I think it's, I think it's important to, to try out a few things, make sure what you're doing is repeatable, right? Brian Castle is going to talk about that on the show. Um, you know, productized services and making sure things are repeatable. But um, so you started out, you did some work for somebody in the industry. You asked for real and honest feedback. Before we get deeper into that and, and kind of how you fully, uh, you, you've, you've made, it sounds like you've made the full switch into, into being in this niche. I have. That's amazing. That's scary. So we will... Yeah, that's and that's wild. Um, so uh, I do want to ask you a couple of questions about that. But how did you know the other niches you chose uh, were not for you? Like you mentioned, like Facebook ads for chiropractors, you just didn't like that. 
Was it basically that? Like you were just like, I'm not enjoying this and I can't see myself doing it. Or were there some, was there something you like kind of liked, but you knew it wasn't the right niche for you? Yeah, I think there's two things when you're actually testing out a niche. You have to like the work and you have to like the people. So you don't necessarily have to niche as narrowly as I have, which is sometimes considered a vertical and horizontal specialization, Mm -hmm. as in I'm specializing in one service for one industry. Um, Mm -hmm. But you really have to like what it is enough to want to do it every single day. So for me, I ran into fit issues in both directions. I didn't really like Facebook ads and I found out I didn't really love working with chiropractors. So that was a problem on two different levels. Um, Yeah. Also, I found out I really liked working with the wedding market and I actually really didn't like doing web design for them. So I started out, Mm. I was going to do SEO and SEO optimized websites for the wedding industry. But working with a creative person who pretty much knows what they want their website to look like and just wants you to execute it was not the kind of work I wanted to do. So after doing one of those, I had to throw out that idea too and just continue to follow those things that I really enjoyed and that we're really working and resonating with the audience. So it's always a little bit of tweaking to figure out what that right service is. And at some level, you can kind of think in your head, would I like this even before you do it? But sometimes you might actually have to go out and try it and get a couple of projects and see for yourself if you like it or not. So I think that it's a problem when someone tries too hard to figure out everything about a niche without getting into the work and doing it. So again, that's why I recommend free work. Um, I recommend talking to people in the industry because I've had a lot of conversations now with people that are interested in niching down and they're like, what's my first step? Do I need to put up a page on my website about it? And I'm like, no, just go do the work and see if you even like it. Stop agonizing over all of the different factors that go into it and just go do the work for someone who's a real person and see how it turns out. And then you can think about marketing yourself for that service later. Yeah. And I mean, from a practical standpoint, like how are you going to make a landing page for that service if you don't know what the problem you're solving is, right? Um, So, I mean, it's, you know, I again, with podcasting, like I thought the problem was like launching the website, but it was really like everything else. (laughs) (laughs) It's doing everything. (laughs) Yeah. It's doing everything. It's, it's, I didn't know I had to do all that stuff. Um, and so, you know, I think, uh, just to kind of mirror your story a little bit, um, where you kind of looked and saw what you liked, I was starting to have conversations about, um, with people, this happened, especially at Cabo Press. I was going through the things I did and I was like, if I could pick one thing to do all day, it would be podcast. And a lot of people at Cabo Press were like, do it for other people. I would do, I would buy that. Like I tried to start a podcast and it was a problem. And so I had those conversations. I, like a month later, I landed my first client. Um, and so, you know, having conversations about, again, like what you like to do and then actually doing the work. I knew I liked doing the work because I've been podcasting for seven years or so now, um, is, is really important, but understanding the problem that you're solving is also incredibly important. Yes. And some people even recommend if you know, you want to serve a certain audience, 
you can even approach that without knowing how you want to serve them or what service you want to offer. So, you know, if if your spouse works in a certain industry and you want to be involved in marketing for that industry in some way, like get in deep and figure out what their problems are and then identify how you can actually help with those. So that's definitely an option too. And, and a better option than just being like, I think chiropractors need Facebook ads. Yeah. But I mean, but that exploration I think was re- uh, obviously it, it totally worked out for you. Um, and and I think it's an important lesson for people to listen to, like it, it, for people who are listening too. To, if you don't have to commit forever to a niche, right? Like a, a niche is not like marriage, right? <laughs> if it's not working out, you can ditch the niche totally, or broaden it, so, or pivot yeah. it again. Um, keep offering what you're doing and add something on. It's definitely an iterative process, not like that marriage commitment where you're like, I'm into this for a lifetime. Today's episode is brought to you by Smile and their product, Text Expander. Save time typing and boost your productivity with Text Expander. You know I'm all about automation and Text Expander is a great way to get started with automation. It allows you to create your own snippets for repetitive text you tend to use everywhere. Add the text, create a snippet, and boom, save precious time and keystrokes. One of my favorite snippets is for my address. So instead of typing out my full address and risking typos, I simply type dollar sign A-D-D-R and Text Expander does the rest, filling in my full address for me. I also have snippets for my street, my city, and my zip code. But that's not all Text Expander does. With its advanced snippets, you can create fill-ins, pop-up fields, and more. You can even use JavaScript or AppleScript. Another one of my favorite and most used snippets is when I type PPT. That will take whatever text I have on my clipboard and convert it to plain text. So I'm no longer fighting formatting when I copy from a Word document, a Google Doc, or a plain HTML page, like a website. I also use it for common links, email messages, which I can completely customize with fill-ins and drop-down menus, and even date calculations. I'm currently writing a book, and TextExpander has been instrumental with that. TextExpander is available on macOS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad, so pretty much anywhere you do computing. If you've been curious about trying TextExpander or automation in general, now's the time. As a listener, you can get 20% off your first year. Just visit textexpander.com slash podcast and let them know how I built it sent you. That's textexpander.com slash podcast for 20% off your first year. And now back to the show. And so you found your niche out of curiosity. Um, do a lot of people in the wedding industry use a specific platform for their websites? Um, most of the websites I work on are in Showit, Squarespace, or WordPress. Nice. I've never heard of Showit, so I'm definitely going to check that out. Is it like good? It's okay. It actually builds yeah. the blog on WordPress, and then the pages are built on a really flexible platform. So it was made for photographers who wanted mm. like a really open canvas to work with. Uh, makes sense. Show it pictures. Yep. Got it. Cool. Um, yeah, I was, I was very curious about that because I've also heard like Squarespace and Shopify, though that's unrelated, are not good at SEO. But I feel like 
most sites are, if you're starting at neutral, not great. Squarespace and I had some issues when I first got started <laughs> working with it. And I actually wrote a whole blog post about Squarespace SEO issues they needed to fix. And um, mm. I'm not going to take credit, but they have fixed a lot of those issues at this point. So um, I think that they are doing a good job at listening to feedback. There are still some issues with it because it's a closed platform, but it's definitely better. Mm. Gotcha. Hashtag influencer. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> very cool. Um, awesome. So you have your niche now. Um, uh, you are horizontally, you, you are an SEO person vertically. You're in the wedding space. Is that kind of how it works yes. out for people who are wondering? Yes, exactly. Cool. Um, so transitioning from just generalist web designer to, uh, SEO extraordinaire, wedding SEO extraordinaire. Was it hard to say no to those general web design inquiries? Oh, incredibly hard. Absolutely. And it was something that I did slowly. So it's only maybe in the last six months, so 18 months in to declaring my specialty that I'm like, I no longer take on new website clients. So for a while, I was still open to new website work that came in through my agency website. And if it sounded interesting, I kept doing it. And then I realized that doing that work, even though it was higher dollar, it was what I was used to, was really taking away from the progress that I could be making in my specialized business. So taking away from my marketing time, taking away from me serving clients in my niche that would actually be more repeatable type of work that I could learn from. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I really need to stop doing this as tempting as it is. So my agency still does support our prior website clients who are on maintenance and support packages. And I think that's great. But all of our new work is specifically in SEO for the wedding industry. And at this point, it feels really empowering because it's a really easy way for me to turn down inquiries I don't want. Hey, I'm no longer taking on new website work. This is all that I'm doing now. Um, I'm happy to refer you to someone else. So it started to feel good instead of give me like a scared pit in the feeling of my stomach. Yeah, yeah. We Italians call that agita. Um, so, but that is great. Like saying no can be super empowering, right? And even like, you know, over the last few months, I've said no to work. And my mastermind group was like really impressed that I said, but I'm, you know, I'm really trying to make things work. And I... Uh, have had the privilege, at least at that point, to be able to say no. Um, I mean, I still do. I'm making it sound like in three months, I'm like bankrupt. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and I think I was talking in a previous episode, I spoke to Erin Flynn and she said, you know, if you're starting out, you might not be able to say no. Saying no is a privilege, but you you did it over time. And then you realized it's it's costing me more to say yes than it is to say no. It is. And thankfully, I had built up some recurring revenue type of work with prior clients. So I used that as more of the base that I was able to pivot from. So I think it would have been a really hard shift to shift so far from general web design for like insurance agents and dentists mm -hmm. into SEO for the wedding industry. But I had a base of some recurring things. So I didn't have to go out and sell website work in order to pay the bills. 
I had some clients that helped to support the baseline expenses I had so that the new work could really be focused on SEO. And that is something that I would recommend for someone that wants to make a big business shift is find some way so that you're not in kind of a famine cycle when you're trying to invest in something new. Because at some points in this pivot, I have felt like I started a new business. Mm-hmm. Even though I've done marketing, you know, I had done marketing for five years prior, I was starting at zero. Social media accounts at zero, audience recognition at zero, and I had to build all of that back up. I also had to build up pricing. So I, as you often do when you're starting something new, I priced it too low. And people were willing to pay more, but I didn't feel confident enough to charge more. So I felt like that pricing discussion internally with myself was back to where I was when I first started my web agency. So it does sometimes feel like starting a new business, but if you can give yourself a basis of revenue in some way that makes you feel more comfortable, that can help a lot in a pivot. Yeah, I think that's great advice and definitely something that resonated with me because I, you know, I pivoted from web design, web developer. People mostly knew me for my coding tutorials and my coding books to site builder and now general freelancers. And um, those are the courses that I'm making and those are the ones that I'm selling. Um, and so uh, I felt like I also relearned a lot of lessons that I spent 10 years plus yes. learning from freelancing. So um, maybe the maybe there's some takeaway here to Remember to bring those lessons along with you. Just because it's just because it's different work doesn't mean that people are different. People are basically the same and lessons can can be transferred. Yeah, bring some confidence into your pivot. Yeah. It's hard to do though when you feel like you're starting something new and risky to really trust yourself about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, because again, you're you're not sure if it's going to work and that little demon on your shoulder saying, is it going to work? I don't think you can charge that much yet. It's not going to work. You went too narrow. That was stupid. Mm -hmm. You should have kept doing what was paying your bills for five years. There's so many brain games that get played when you look at the market of services you can offer and go, I'm only going to offer services to this tiny sliver of the universe. And Mentally, it doesn't make sense a lot of the times, but I promise if it's the right niche, it really does make sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it's it's like going to a steak joint for a good steak versus going to like, I don't know, a Walmart and then finding a good steak. I don't know. Uh, I feel like that analogy is falling down, but you go to a steak joint for a good steak. And those are the people who know how to make them really Yes. Good. And you, there are other restaurants that have menus that are 30 pages long and you can't figure out what to order. And you're going to guess that nothing on that menu is actually very good. Yeah. So you're going to go with something that they probably can't mess up, yeah. like a burger. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. So good. All right. Good. That analogy works. It does. Okay. Um, so you mentioned... so. Your web design agency was not just you, right? You had some employees? Yeah. So I had three regular contractors. So no actual employees, but people that I worked with on a really regular basis. Did you bring them along with you for the niching down? I'm so glad you asked that um, because one of the biggest and hardest decisions I had to make was actually cutting some people. Um, I had a designer that was on a really regular monthly retainer 
And as we started doing less web design work and less design work for existing clients, I had to eventually let her go. And it was actually really hard for me emotionally because I had tied a lot of my business success to the number of people who worked on my team. So Mm -hmm. when people would ask me like, how's your business doing? How many people work with you now? I could be like, oh, there's four of us now. And so for me, for whatever reason, I was like, I feel successful when I'm adding people to my team. And so to have to let someone go and say, you know what? I need to focus on bottom line profit. And this person actually isn't needed anymore to execute the work that we're doing. So I'm down to mostly just working with a virtual assistant and a coworker who does client support. And we're actually just as profitable as we were before with fewer people. So the other thing I had to let go of is top line revenue. We used to do bigger projects, bring in more money, but also had a lot more expenses to get that work done between designers, developers, and other specialists. And now revenue is a bit lower, but so are expenses. So profitability is very similar. So that is has been another mind shift for me to just kind of work through fewer people, less top line revenue, still just as much success. Yeah, I that is that's great to hear. I always find it questionable when people are like we made 100 million dollars in revenue last year. Like all right, what were your expenses? Yes. <laughs> uh cuz if it was 100 million and one, then you are not running a good company. Yeah. Like you're not running a successful company. Or all the influencers so. online who talk about having a six-figure business or a seven-figure business. They're just talking about top-line revenue and you don't know how profitable that is. What if they're not paying themselves at all? Uh Right. Yeah, exactly. Not very impressive. Yeah. So it's and yeah, exactly. The way I run my businesses I pay me first, right? There's a great book, Profit First. I'll link to it in the show notes over at How I Built Dot It. Um, but I pay me first and then my business, well, and taxes, and then my business gets paid. Um, and so if after I pay myself and taxes, if I don't have enough to go on that $10,000 conference trip in the Bahamas or whatever, I can't do it yes. because I've, I'm taking care of my family first. It's really important. And I, so yeah. I read that book last year and I also read Company of One by Paul Jarvis, which mm-hmm. was like my transformational book for 2019. Just the concepts of it and a lot of the ways he challenges growth. So that was one of the reasons that I felt comfortable and empowered to let a person go. I didn't personally like the work of managing someone on a regular basis. So Paul Jarvis says, can you figure out automation or some other way to get those tasks done where you don't have to manage another person? And I was like, you know what? I probably can. I'd love to do that. So that was very empowering for me, reading Company of One and just thinking about the way that I've thought about growth in the past. That's fantastic. I'm going to echo those sentiments because I I had always kind of been at a I don't know if I want to grow. I don't know if I want employees. Seems like a pain in the neck. Uh, But I thought I was crazy for thinking that. And then reading Company of One, I'm like, Paul Jarvis is, from the outside at least, seems very successful. Yes. Um, I mean, and his book is is killing it. And I think he publishes his numbers or some some semblance. Maybe he doesn't publish his numbers, but he gives you a pretty good idea of how he's doing, I feel, in one of his emails at the beginning of the year. And... uh, I'm like, great. He's a company of one. I'm a company of one. I do have a couple of contractors to do things that 
I can't or would rather not do, like tran- um, transcripts and editing. I have an editor. Uh, he does great work, but supplemented by automation, right? So once you send me your audio, it's going to go in a Dropbox folder. He's going to get it. And then I never have to touch it again. Amazing. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I mean, I think I've published that flow already over on my blog or on YouTube, but um, automation is super key. And I know that's not exactly what we're talking about, but it helps. It does help. And maybe it is related because you can do a lot more automation when you're doing repeatable work over and over again. So I've definitely yeah. been able to automate more of my business and or at least have a procedure for a lot more things that someone else is able to follow because I only offer two packages anymore. I never do a custom proposal. And so I'm doing the same type of work over and over again and doing very minimal work on the sales side. That's amazing. Because like a proposal is so time consuming. They suck. For, yeah. And like you do 10 proposals, maybe one hits. Yes. And like the rest of that time, maybe 20 hours is like wasted. Yes. So the fact that you already have like a, a, I assume you have a just templated proposal or whatever, or just a list of services that you send. So out. it's actually a welcome and pricing guide, and people don't even have to talk to me to get it. They actually go to my website, opt in. I mean, anyone listening to this podcast can opt in to see how yeah. it works, but it immediately sends them the welcome and pricing guide, which answers common questions and gives them pricing, and it enrolls them on my email list. So if maybe they're not a good fit for one-on-one services right now, I'll still email them every week on my email newsletter and we'll stay in touch. So it's been a huge, great thing for email list building, just having an automation that sends my prices out. And it's kept me off a lot of those consults that I had when I first started where people were really just getting on the phone with me to ask what the pricing was and they weren't Mm -hmm. well qualified. The conversations I have now, people have looked at the welcome and pricing guide. They've weeded themselves out based on frequently asked questions. And it's generally like, do you think this is a good fit for me? Which package should I choose? And when can we start? Awesome. And um, again, I I know I've mentioned Erin a couple of times, uh, but she said the same thing in her episode. So I feel like I know I am doing the right thing with this season because a lot of really great advice keeps coming up. I'll be sure to link to her episode in the show notes as well. Awesome. Um, so we are coming up on time. This has been such a fantastic conversation as I knew it would be. Um, but maybe as we wrap up, can you give the listeners two or three tips for niching down? If they're like, this all sounds great. Uh, how do I do that? Yeah, so definitely my number one trade secret for niching down is to lower your own perceived risk as much as you can. So it's scary to think about going after a certain niche. So how can you make yourself feel better about it? Well, number one, don't go and say, I'm going to change my entire website to this new positioning and get rid of all the past clients I've had. Take really small baby steps. So instead of doing the risky thing, which is taking over your whole brand and website, shutting it down, changing your business name, just go do a little work for somebody and see if you like it and work in those small baby steps rather than in grand gestures. I know we all like making some big announcement on social media and getting a lot of mm-hmm. attention, but um, 
really the secret to niching down is to do it really slowly and make sure that what you're doing will work and that you really enjoy it. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And uh, it reminds me of a lot of advice that came up in the first season of this show um, about Olympic athletes, right? You're not just going to go be in the Olympics on the first day you decide you want to run a marathon. Yes. You're going to train for a long time. It's a long process. Uh, and eventually, maybe you'll get to the Olympics. So um, that's great. Uh, really great advice. I love it. And you said that that is maybe your trade secret. So if I ask you, do you have any trade secrets for us? Have you already given it to us? Yes, I would say All definitely right. just moving in small baby steps for niching down. And awesome. I, there isn't necessarily like a certain process I can recommend for it. I wish I had found one that was like, look in this place for ideas and use this mm -hmm. matrix for decision making. But it's really a very much a personal and a gut decision. So I hope everyone is able to find some work that they really enjoy and just find a way to do more of it. Yeah, that's great. This is an art, not a science. Yeah. So love it. Uh, Sarah Dunn, always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for coming on the show. Where can people find you? So if you'd like to learn more about specializing, I do have a website at sarah-dunn.com where I've got lots of blog posts and YouTube videos about what I did to specialize. And if you just want to connect, uh, my Twitter is sarah11d. And if you want to take a peek at my SEO services for the wedding industry, that's over at sarahdoesseo.com. Fantastic. I will link to all of those things and everything we talked about over at howibuilt.it. Sarah, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. This has always been great. Thanks so much to Sarah for joining us today. Like I said, I hope you saw uh, or heard why she's one of my favorite people to talk to. For one, she indulges in my pen addiction, which is fantastic. Uh, I will uh, link to that in the show notes. You can find all of the show notes over at howibuilt.it slash 163. But uh, I I like a lot of what she said, uh, especially the incident about um, how she didn't know this person who described her as an expert. And that's kind of how she knew that she made it. She talks about how there's no quick process uh, and the time it took to find her specialty. So uh, I like everything that she said in this episode. I really hope that you got a lot of good advice out of it. Uh, thanks. Uh, so thanks again to Sarah for joining us. Uh, thanks to our sponsors as well. Hrefs and Text Expander. They help expand my business uh, by making me more efficient and by finding the right content to write or put out on my various content channels. Again, for all the show notes, you can go over to howibuilt.it slash one six three. If you liked this episode, be sure to uh, subscribe, rate, review the show. Uh, it's it, it really helps people discover the show. And uh, I think that all of the guests I've had so far this year have been really great in helping people grow their business. So if you think so too, be sure to, to subscribe and uh, rate and review. If you are interested in starting your own podcast, like I talked about at the top of the show, head over to podcastworkbook.com to get your free podcast workbook. And that is all the requests I have for you on this fine day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, get out there and build something. <laughs>